Today, we are carrying on our series leading into Christmas. And if you recall, I'll switch this on. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we started and we looked at what the prophet spoke about concerning what Jono spoke about last week, the word becoming flesh. We looked at Isaiah, we looked at Micah, and how they prophesied about the Savior, this Redeemer, who was coming to redeem and save his people when the Word became flesh. Then we looked at the angel who spoke when he came down and spoke to Mary, who was God's chosen vessel, through which the Word will become flesh. And we looked at those words of favor that were placed upon her life and saw the relevance that it played for us as well as God's people in Christ. And I was greatly blessed as I watched Jono's sermon last week when he shares when the word became flesh in John chapter 1. I came away from that sermon that God spoke through our brother just excited, just encouraged, just blessed so much because the way Jono shared that word was looking at the greatness of who God is, the beauty of his person, the the faithfulness of his promises, and how he left his glory to become flesh. And I was just blown away how the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in the person of Jesus Christ when he became flesh. That when he went about his ministry, it was for the purpose of of us. And the greatness of his love was, I, I listened to the sermon and I messaged him straight away to say how blessed I was. And he sent me, I think it was a heart, and a prayer hands, I don't know, but yeah, it was just it was just an emoji. But I thought that meant a lot to me. It didn't. Okay, sorry. Oh, it did. It did. It did. <laughs> it did. But I was greatly blessed at that because I, this is what Christmas is. And I, I really appreciate the music team this morning. Thank you very much for the songs chosen, where we get to take the time to meditate on the reality of what it is when the Word becomes flesh. He done it for you. He done it for us so that we might come to know who He is, the Word that expresses the very heart of God, the Word within whom, as I shared, dwells the fullness of God, the Word by whom we are made complete The Word who is Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. And when you look at that message that Jono shared from John chapter 1 about the Word becoming flesh, we are given a more in-depth look, a more detailed description in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. 
Because through the Holy, the Holy Spirit, should I say, through Luke, explains when this word becomes flesh in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why the word becomes flesh in chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Whereabouts the word becomes flesh in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And what happens and who was there in chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. So you want to look at the, the big theological implications that are portrayed in John chapter 1, then you read the actual story and the details of what took place in Luke chapter 2, you see a, a clearer picture of what Christmas is about. You see, for many people, the Christmas story most people are familiar with is found in Luke chapter 2, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian alike. And while we are moving into this specific story, it is the impact that the word has, meaning the person of Christ has, on all the people that are around. And um, where's Pamela? Pamela? Yeah, yeah, she, she preached half my sermon already. So what we're going to do today is look at what the people spoke. Amen. The people who spoke regarding the person of Christ, regarding the word who became flesh. Now, I'm not going to do the big reading as one. We're going to go through it together. So if you want to bow your heads, we'll open in prayer and we'll start off reading from the word of God. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he left his glory above to be clothed in human flesh and that through him we can know life, we can know hope, we can know transformation, we can know freedom, we can know you. And so I pray this morning as we look at your word that you by your spirit will minister to each of our hearts, that you will open our eyes to see, that you will soften our hearts to respond, that we might submit to the, the wonderful plan and the wonderful love you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 20, 22 to 24. We're going to read this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, Jesus and Mary, as Pam said before, it's eight days. He is eight days old. It's a week after his birth. And now they are following the law of Moses to dedicate him to the Lord, as well as the purification rites of Mary. Um, the significance of such a record as this is to give something of substance to the readers of the reality of what Mary and Joseph were like as parents. Their knowledge of the law of Moses, their obedience to the law of the Lord, and even the revealing of their status socially. What I mean by that is this. 
the pair of doves or two young pigeons that are offered in purification rites is found in actually Leviticus 15. And the reason why you were given these options is because you were not wealthy enough to afford anything better. Essentially, this was the poor man's offering. It's what you could afford. It's all that you could give. And so there were the cheapest sacrifices to offer. And so you see, this is what Mary and Joseph and, and who they are. And so this is the fulfillment. And I shared this with the, uh, the children yesterday while I was yelling upstairs. I was talking about how when somebody makes a promise, how excited you are when somebody keeps that promise. There was a lovely little girl named Sophie um, not, not, not Kenny and, and, and Tony, Sophie, another little girl named Sophie that Ethan invited. And I said, Sophie, I said, Sophie, if your dad promises to take you to the park, how excited do you feel? She says, I'm really excited. Well, she didn't say it like that. She just said, I feel good. I I'm, I'm embellishing there. I apologize. And so, and it says, and he goes, I'm going to take you to the park and we'll get an ice cream. How does that make you feel? She goes, that feels good. And then what happens when your dad does it, takes you to the park? I get excited. Why? Because I'm going to get the ice cream. And so she gets the ice cream. Now what do you feel like? Oh, I feel great because my dad kept his promise. And I was saying to her then, I said to the kids, do you know that years ago, hundreds of years before, Jesus made a promise. And, or God made a promise, should I say. See, God made a promise. God made a promise that he was going to send someone to save people. God made a promise that he was going to send somebody to make people right with himself. And he says, and this is what Christmas is about. That was Jesus being born. It is God keeping his promise. And how you feel when that promise is kept by your dad is how everybody else felt at that time when God kept his promise to them. This is the promise that you're waiting on the Lord to fulfill a promise. And when that promise is fulfilled, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the passion, the love that stirs in your souls because a promise has been fulfilled. You see, this is the fulfillment of what God told Mary via the angel in Luke chapter 1. This is the coming to pass of what Joseph was told about in his dream in Matthew chapter 1. It is the completion of the promises God had made to his people via Isaiah and Micah hundreds of years before. This is what stirs one's heart in the life of faith. Promises that are kept. Words that are fulfilled. That a life of faith is not blind, wishful, irrational thinking, hoping that something could happen, but rather a grounded, knowledgeable reality based on what was said because of the person who said it. That makes the difference. That makes the difference. Whether the person who said it can be trusted or not. And I read in Titus chapter 1, verses 1, 1b and 2 this, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie. In the New King James, in the Old King James, it's actually translated as, which God, who cannot lie. 
He can't lie. That's one of the things God, can, God cannot do. He cannot lie, promised before the beginning of time. And because he can make such a promise, because he is the source of that promise, that promise can be trusted. We have to understand, though, that the promise is on his terms, not mine. So then, what does such a life of faith look like? How can such a life of faith then be lived, especially when everything around you screams that life is out of control? Well, we're given an insight to two of such lives as shared with us this morning by Pam. Oh, I didn't, sorry. There we go. Simeon, a man of informed hope. You see, one of the biggest criticisms of living by faith is that it flies in the face of reason. You hear many critics say that, which is the furthest thing from the truth. You see, the opposite of faith isn't reason. The opposite of faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. The opposite of faith is suspicion. If anything, reason is a means by which faith is secured or faith is confirmed. And it is all due to what or who the foundation of that faith is. For if that is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and secure, then it produces an informed hope of which Simeon demonstrates. Read with me if you're up there. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Here is an instance where God was connecting with individuals as opposed to the nation. If you remember, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a period of silence from God. Not silence from God to individuals, but silence from God to the nation. He was no longer dealing with Israel on a national level as he used to in the Old Testament, but he was revealing himself to individuals. Simeon was one such guy. And think about the context that he was in. I mean, this is a man who probably in a majority of his life has experienced or is experiencing oppression under Roman rule. He was probably finding it difficult, especially when you've got religious leaders of the day that are trying to enforce or reinforce their power. It is a state of confusion as people are looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And you see this when you see all the people going to John the Baptist. They are looking for some type of direction in life because everything seems to be going crazy. So you have this man here who has an informed hope. And we are told two things about him. One, that the Holy Spirit was on him. In verse 25, this was what God would do 
in Old Testament times, the Spirit of God would rest upon people. The Spirit of God would come upon people to fulfill a task. Um, quick examples, Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus quotes those words, I think, in Luke chapter 4. You have, you have was it? So to, to fulfill a task, you have the Spirit of God come upon people to be spoken to. Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 2 says, The Spirit raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Or to have something revealed to him, uh, to them. Micah, Micah chapter 3 verse 8, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel's sin. So, here we have the Spirit of God come upon Simeon. That's the first thing we're told about him. The second thing we're told about him is this, that the Holy Spirit informed him. Like Isaiah, Simeon knew of the Redeemer's coming. We read it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Like Micah, Simeon knew where the Redeemer would be. He says he went to the temple courts. But unlike these two, Simeon was given a specific time frame within which this would happen. The Spirit of God said to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. How exciting is that? This is why he could be hopeful. This is why he could rest in what was said. Because the God who cannot lie told him, Simeon, you are going to see my salvation. Simeon, it's going to happen in your lifetime. Simeon, it's going to be here. How awesome is that? In a time of confusion, in a time of uncertainty, Simeon gets a word from the Spirit of God to tell him where, when, and what he should be doing. How encouraging. What a God of love to meet the individual where they are at. I want you to understand that. To meet the individual where they are at. For a lot of us, we, we like the whole blanket solution to everything. Oh, yeah, just do this. And we throw a blanket over everybody. Oh, yeah, we can just do that. And throw a blanket over everybody. God cares for you so much. He will meet you where you are at. How exciting is that? How much love I have seen. I know teachers. Teacher, where's Eva? Eva's a teacher as well. Eva's run away. She's on crash. She'll probably hear me now anyway. That's okay. But even with teachers, Pastor Ben, when he was teaching, one of the most difficult things, especially when you have children that are going through difficult teaching things or the learning uh, hindrances, or to devote time to one student is very, very difficult. To meet that one student's needs is very, very difficult. And yet God meets each of us where we are at. That is an amazing sense of love and compassion demonstrated toward us. And then you read this, you read this, carrying on. When the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you ha- as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father, there we go, the child's father marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. As a man of informed hope, Simeon is a great reminder for us that having our hope in God and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is never a futile endeavor. Maybe doubt crept into Simeon's mind at some stages. Time's getting on, Lord. I'm not getting any younger. What's going to be going on? And yet God fulfilled his word. Today's society appears to be getting out of hand. Dialogue has vanished from public discourse. Common sense is becoming less and less common. Basic facts, which were freely accepted as little as five years ago, are now labeled as discriminatory and prejudiced. Hope, the looking for and the longing for better, is slowly turning to despair today. For many people, both Christian and non-Christian alike, if one has a misinformed hope, or hope in things outside of Jesus, or hope outside of the promises that he made will lead you down a path that is full of frustration, full of despair, full of discouragement, and full of disappointment. There was this guy by the name of James Stalker. Imagine having your name, Stalker. That's hilarious. Sorry. But he said this. How poor... I'm sorry. Sorry, James Stalker, if you ever watch this, I apologize. But this is a great line, how poor a guide enthusiasm is when it is not informed with the mind and spirit of God. How poor a guide enthusiasm is when it is not informed with the mind and spirit of God. For our eyes, our eyes, as Simeon's eyes witnessed, so our eyes have witnessed and seen the salvation of God in Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Our hearts have been impacted by Emmanuel, God with us, who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, who was buried and who was rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Our lives have been transformed by a living Savior, a living Savior who is seated at the right hand of God ever to make intercession for us. Thus, when we read of the promises of God revealed to us in His Word, the promises that have been made to us by Jesus, then we don't have to have a misinformed hope. 
we can have a hope that is informed because it is based in the person of Jesus Christ. Even when things don't make sense, even when things seem difficult, even when things are overwhelming, the hope that points us to more is found in Christ. Nowhere else. And in no one else. So just like those words that were put forth to Mary, words of favor, then what happens is when we have our hope formed like Mary and like Simeon and like Joseph, we can step out by faith on truths that are foundational for us to stand upon because they stem from the promises God has made, truths imparted from him who is truth. Power to walk in the newness of life because his spirit is power. And this begs this then of us. How informed is our faith? How informed are we? How, how do we learn to recognize the voice of God? How do we respond to his voice when we do recognize it. So here's an encouragement. Here's what I encourage you to do to get an informed hope like Simeon. Read. Get informed. Read God's word. Learn his promises. Get to know who Jesus is from the scriptures. Pray. Get reliant. Get dependent in a world that says, I stand on my own two feet. Jesus calls us to rely on him, to trust him. And prayer is a wonderful way to demonstrate that, to trust in him. Meditate, get connected with him, spend time meditating in God's presence, taking a break from everything around you, taking a break from your phone, which is so distracting, taking a break from your television series, which is, you have to admit, pretty entertaining taking a break from the various things that consume your time and just spend time dwelling in the presence of God and getting to know Him intimately. Share your faith. Get adventurous. If you have the chance to listen, and I, Philip shared this with me as well, I posted many moons ago, well, that sounds really weird, many moons ago on the devotional wall, the audio book, God Smuggler, the story about Brother Andrew, the man who founded Open Doors. I would encourage you to listen to it. I've listened to it twice. And one of the most exciting things I like is as a youngster, he was looking to get, have an adventure, to have an adventure. He tried, he joined the army, he did a whole bunch of really crazy things. And then he comes to faith. And basically in a nutshell, how I perceive it is that God gave him the ultimate adventure as he stepped out by faith and took Bibles over various borders and watch God do amazing things. Get adventurous. Get courageous. Step out by faith and see where God will take you. And in all that getting and, and, and getting knowledge and, and getting reliant and getting connected and getting adventurous and all of that getting, get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Simple as that. That's how we become people of informed hope. People of faith. And then we have this. We have... Anna, or Anna, a woman of trusting worship. 
read with me, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, or night and day, fasting and praying. What I like about this record is that unlike Simeon, we are given a little bit of this woman's backstory. We read that she is a prophet. We read that she was married for seven years when her husband passed away, and she remained a widow right up until now, until she was 84. So this woman, she knew love, and then she knew loss. She knew tragedy, and she knew struggle. And on top of that, she experienced much of what Simeon did as a people oppressed under Roman law. But notice the description given to her in verse 37. She never left the temple, for that was where God had placed his name. She worshipped where God had placed his name day and night. She fasted, trusting in the God who placed his name there. She prayed, trusting in the God who placed his name there. In other words, even with her loss, even with her tragedy, even with her struggle, she went to the only one upon whom she could trust and the one whom she could worship. With everything that she experienced, she said, the only place that I could find my hope The only place I can find my security, the only place I can find my satisfaction is in the temple of God. It's in the presence of my creator. She may have asked questions to herself, why her? She may have wondered as to why it had to happen that way, things that many people today ask. I I remember sharing this story many, many years ago, actually, many years ago, where my wife would go to Blacktown and do Bible studies with single mums. And she led some of the ladies to the Lord. And, and, and one of the ladies, her brother had committed suicide. And the dad was just distraught because he had lost his son. And he, he walked into his daughter's room and just asked and said, Why? What, where, was God when my, where was God when my son took his life? And this girl who had been a Christian for less than a month said, and I see the Spirit of God working here, she said to him, he was in the exact same place when his side died, his son died. And he says, because your son committed suicide doesn't mean God doesn't love you any less, nor does it mean that God doesn't love him any less. But I do know God loves you, that he sent his son so that you could have life. And I was thinking, wow, what an impact that that could have on a person's life. And, and this is what Anna would have experienced for herself. You see, the more time she spent with the Lord, the more time she gave thanks, the more time she worshiped, the more time she prayed when things were good and when things were bad would have resulted in her being able to recognize God's prompting, God's moving, God's voice, God's direction in her life, God's guidance. She would have done that because she spent time with him. 
She would have responded to God's Spirit directing her in her life. Remember the tabernacle. Remember the temple. It was to be a place where in Exodus chapter 29, verse 42, we read this. He says, God says this to Moses when they're building the tabernacle. He says, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you. Anna wanted to be in a place where she could meet with her creator and that she could hear from her creator. That's what she wanted. And that's why she went there. And you know what's crazy? What's crazy is this, that in Jesus Christ, this, this, this has been given to us in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, who loved me, who died for me, who rose again, and that through him, trust in him, I could be made God's child, that in him, God meets with me. That in him, God speaks with me. That in him, as in Isaiah 59, chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 59, verse one says, that the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that he cannot hear that he can save and hear us when we cry out to him. And because that's what Anna experienced, we read in verse 38 that coming up to them, so there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's Simeon holding Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel the deliverance from oppression. See, there is a huge reality that she speaks to here. She foreshadows the ministry of the Lord Jesus as being the redeemer of Jerusalem, the redeemer of Israel. Now, it might be redeeming from Anna's perspective to be the redeemer of Roman oppression. I think she was speaking about more than that. The redeemer of all humanity from the captivity and the bondage and the enslavement of sin. That's what she's foreshadowing. To be delivered from the lust that we have for things that we know we shouldn't have. The desires for our own selfishness, the desires for our own egos. To be delivered from those things, to redeem us from that, from our own sinfulness and our guilt before God. Either way, the only way a person, the only way a person can have an informed hope and a trusting worship is if we look to the God of hope and his son whom he sent, the Lord Jesus who is worth, worthy of all worship. You see, this is what Christmas is about. It's about how God became a man so that we might experience what life is supposed to be and what existence is to become through faith in Christ. That, as we wait with hope and trust, like Simeon and Anna, informed by the word, comforted by his promises, then we experience practically more of him in the midst of our lives. That as we wait, we see God fulfill his promise to each one of us, which I think is exciting. What's um, Isaiah 40, 31. What does it say? That those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
So even though, I mean, honestly, look, yes, yes, things aren't perfect, but like the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Yes, things may be difficult to handle, but what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, things might be uncertain and full of uncertainty, but we wait in hope for the Lord, for He is our hope and shield that we be still in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And we, like Simeon and Anna, wait for our salvation. Lord, I and I follow your commands. So when we look at these two saints, people who actively wait, how do you actively wait? Think about that. How do you actively wait? I was thinking about this, actually. I thought, it means this that while you actively wait, you be about what's within your power to do. What is within your power to do? Well, you can live holy because he is holy. You can spend time in your word, equipping yourself. For example, uh, I, I've, I've, been, I've been exercising. And one of the things that they have these things at the gym, they're called sleds. Ash, Ash will know this because Ash is like, <clears throat> okay, but they have these sleds. And I, so what I do is I, I put on maybe 100, 125 kilos and I push the sled back and forth. Just, I sit there, I push it, then I drag it back. And I push it and I drag it back and I push it and I drag it back. And there's this, there's this guy there, he always, whenever I sit there, he's this Asian guy, really nice guy. And every time I see him, he does this to me. You know, I say, bro. Bro, here you going? And so I've started doing that too. Okay. But he goes to me, man, you, you push so much. Like, how come you, why do you push so much? And he says, honestly, bro, I've, I've, I push so much that if my house is burning, I can drag two kids out at one time. <laughs> it, it, it's functional strength. It's functional strength. So if I needed to, if I needed to, I could grab Emily and Faith just by the scruff of their necks and just go, yeah, we got this. And I can do that quite easily. I can do that quite easily. It's, it's, it's functional. So, not that I'm, anyway. So it means if you're, if you're less than 125 kilos, I can drag you out. That's cool. But see, that's, so I do what I can do. So if it if actually does, like, it's my house, I pray that my house will not burn down and that I don't have to drag my kids out. But all I'm saying is this, I, it, it's something functional. It, it may never happen. But while I'm waiting for it to happen, I'm ready. In like manner, though, in like manner. So what can I do? I can spend time reading my word and getting to know my God better. I can spend time stepping out in faith and sharing my faith with others while I trust God, while I wait on him. Because he has promised that he's coming back. He has promised that he's returning. He has promised that things are going to get worse as we follow him faithfully. He has made these promises, and while he has made them, 